0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited today to be joined by Brooke Bardos, Director of Marketing Operations and Analytics at Invoice Cloud. Uh, Welcome to the show, Brooke.
1: Thanks, Garrett. Great to be here.
0: (sighs) Excited to have you. Now, I've been dipping my toes into your world a little bit lately and trying to learn all about marketing ops. I think as we set this show up for everyone, I think marketing ops is kind of a gap in a lot of marketers today because of how technical it is. But maybe in your own words, could you start off today by kind of sharing with us what you believe Marketing Ops is and how it should function within an organization?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of mentioned it with with it being a gap, but I think that's one thing that's really come to light in the last, especially year and a half, um, mm-hmm. is the importance of having someone in a role of marketing operations and the power of data control um, and having having someone that's sort of pulling levers behind the scenes, bringing data points together, able to provide insights that impact a customer experience um, and really kind of lead from the background with a lot of this. And a lot of organizations weren't prepared for that. And when things shifted, they've realized the importance of of the data, the analytics, the, the reporting, the connections between systems. Um, and that's really where marketing operations, I think has seen a huge, huge growth um, in terms of roles that are out there, opportunities, skill sets, diversity of backgrounds. Uh, but it's, it's really more the technical piece behind the scenes. My parents always ask, you know, what do you, what do, you do? I kind of describe it as like, it's this hybrid, almost like IT type function within the marketing team. Um, working with the different platforms and technologies.
0: Now, I totally agree with that, but I think the other thing we're trying to overcome, I think a lot of times in marketing operations, is that we're more than just like the data pipeline and the data management. We're also the ones that are making sure the data is driving the success, whether that's through total addressable markets, whether that's through building out your audiences. But I found people only know about marketing ops once a quarter when they try to report and all their numbers are broken. So yep. what's a better cadence and relationship that organizations should have with their data and with the marketing ops function so that it's not this thing where I think some marketing operation folks get in trouble because there's this perception that like, when I finally need you, everything's broken. Do you get what I mean? Like it's like yeah. once a quarter, the CMOs, like I got to be with the board tomorrow. Can you tell me how many SQLs we got from APAC? And they're like, right. And they can't grab it. So how do we have a better cadence as marketers with marketing operations so we're more integrated?
1: Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, marketing operations, the data they're reporting, it's going to be different for every layer of the organization. And certainly, yep, your CMO is going to want some executive reporting once a quarter. But I think there's a lot of other areas of opportunity for continual communication, whether that's weekly, biweekly or monthly, depending on which part of the marketing or sales Or business if you have a a sales ops team especially um, working collaboratively with that group is going to give you the ability to identify problems well before you get to a fire drill at the end of quarter Uh, but it also is going to let you be able to look at performance week over week and month over month and say hey something something isn't matching here with what we expected to see what we thought we were going to see based on previous trends what happened? Is there is there a connection broken? Is there something that didn't go off right that we need to fix? Is there data connections issues or Is it, you know, for the marketers, is there something that isn't resonating with the audience? Is there a campaign that's not performing well? And marketing operations has the ability to provide those kind of insights. Um, And I think that's the thing, is each of those different groups should have different cadences, but definitely more than once a quarter um, to really ensure that that the entire marketing organization is successful all the time.
0: Yeah, I love that. Now, it is sour and sass, are you ready?
1: Yeah, I'm ready, what do you got?
0: Oh, here we go. I got lemon. What are you working with over there? I've got apple. Okay, that sounds better. <laughs> I yes. want apple. I'm out of apple. I literally, this is like my least favorite one, so I'm at the bottom. Here we go.
1: I'm starting with my favorite, so I kind of, I'm kind of cheating here.
0: Oh, man. Would like you legitimately eating a lemon. Oh, my God. It's so bad every time. Like, I in oh. oh, gosh.
1: This is brutal. I haven't had these in, like, 20 years, I forgot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like once you stop wearing diapers, you kind of stop eating sour candy. Oh my gosh. Okay.
1: This is savage. I must be a glutton for punishment.
0: (sighs) It's terrible, right? Okay. There's this weird delineation in marketing ops now. I'm almost calling it growth ops for this reason, which is I believe the greatest opportunities for marketing ops to drive revenue is in life cycle stage improvement. So getting people from SAL to SQL, SQL to op, op to deal, and I the unit economics of it, right? When we focus on acquisition, we're always competing in these auction-based environments where our cost per click is constantly going up at a faster rate than our ability to raise our prices or cut our cost of goods sold and thus improve our gross margin. So we have diminishing marginal returns every day on acquisition. Yeah, we can always get better at activation. So I really believe in lifecycle stage improvements. However, oftentimes, marketing ops and rev ops are almost two different functions that don't talk to each other. So how do you believe this entire revenue operations type team in general should partner with each other? And how should the roles work together, especially since much of marketing ops actual value occurs technically in sales ops? Mm-hmm. So how, how, how do you balance that arrangement and how do you think it should function?
1: I think that's where a lot of it comes down to that collaboration, um, putting your heads together, because while marketing operations does focus a lot on the marketing piece and the performance, you know, are we are we providing enough coverage by filling the top of funnel? What are our conversion rates looking like so that we have the type of pipeline that we wish to generate? Um but also working with sales in terms of sales and sales ops in terms of close rates, win loss, uh, information that can be gained from that. Um, And I think for the marketing ops team, looking at it from that lens, that's where you also hear a lot of things around attribution coming into play. Um, You know, your costs, yeah, your costs are going up, but are we hitting the right people? Are they converting? What content are they engaging with? When we look at that from a lead generation perspective and demand gen and moving them through the funnel, you see a lot of those attribution conversations come into play that can provide that, Hey, these are, these are the engagements that are causing a conversion or causing a hand raiser or, you know, people engaging with at different stages of the funnel and different buyer personas, um, that really can help improve that. And also, you know, if you're able to gain that information from the sales side, whether you're working with sales enablement, um, getting insights about what they're doing and their messaging that you can take back and apply and actually look at it from a full customer journey perspective. You'll be able to see what levers you need to pull for for that pipeline coverage and those conversion rates so that you can, you're going to be able to yeah. hit your numbers. But you've got to be able to fill the top of the funnel if you're, if you're getting a little slim.
0: Let's talk top of the funnel. I'm not a fan of it, at least in my definition and why. And I'll, I'll break it down for you, but I want to hear your perspective on it. I like to say MQLs are like balloons. When they eventually pop, there's nothing but air inside. And what I mean by that is I can't tell you how many CMOs, directors of demand, gen, et cetera, have lost their jobs because they have to go in front of the board and they have this thing, like whether it's like marketing source, they love that one, or marketing pipeline or leads generated. But what I found is across hundreds of SaaS companies mid-market and enterprise the biggest and the baddest the people doing ipos the people raising all the capital like we have some of the smartest marketers in the world that we're working with they a lot of times are still basing their success on mqls like if i look across our clients the largest north star metric we get from a client that we're having to try to massage and pivot and support is they want to drive mqls because it's the number that marketing can own yet marketing shouldn't own anything sales right there needs to be a filter in my opinion like we generate a good lead of sales says it's a good lead because they're able to drive revenue from that lead how do you balance that as a marketing ops person where so much of the function is like lead scoring and lead routing and mql kind of centric despite in my opinion if you did a regression analysis 99.9 percent of mqls don't actually turn into revenue so how do you juggle that as a marketing ops professional? Like, what's your opinion on it? Kind of, how do you see it? Cause I think it's a, it's a kind of a huge issue right now.
1: It is. And and you actually see a lot of organizations that get away from using leads, um, for that reason. But I think, you know, depending on where you are in the maturity of the organization, I think there's certainly value to it that can be had. It's, it's yeah. a conversation, as you mentioned, that's pretty, a, a pretty hot topic, um, but the lead scoring piece, I always tell people it's never something that's set in stone. It requires a constant feedback with sales because if you just say, "Hey, this is the lead scoring model that we're going after," ten out of ten times there's going to be an issue somewhere along
0: the way. Yeah.
1: You you never get it right the first time out of the gate. But it's not. You overweight in stone.
0: behavioral, or you overweight from a graphic, or you got this thing that accidentally creates something because you missed it, and then it's triggering it and then SDRs are calling and they don't like it. Right. Like that's kind of the game. Right.
1: Yep. And that's where, you know, for lead scoring, I always like to have a, a cap within my lead scoring that only a certain amount can be behavioral and then a certain percentage be our demographic and firmographic, yep. because otherwise you end up with an intern that has a score of, you know, 2000 points. Nobody cares. Cause they came from this account.
0: So the account scored them, but we didn't devalue them because of the title. And so once again, the ratio got off and now we're calling interns.
1: Right. But that's where, you know, sort of the next stage with that is looking at things like the account based scoring and looking at engagement across a total account, yep. looking at intent triggers. And that can be for prospects, but also even for current accounts. If you've got intent behaviors coming from competitive searches, yeah. um, those could be potential red flags. If you're coming up at a renewal,
0: mm.
1: I think there's there's yeah. a lot of data points that can come in from a, a scoring type of perspective based on behavior that, that can have a lot of value, not just strictly at the lead level.
0: Well, the thing with leads is they're not bad if you're not paying too much for them.
1: Right. That's where I
0: think we get in trouble. I'm not anti MQL as a concept. I'm anti paying for MQLs because I, I used to run sales development and I called them all myself. They don't have intent. You know what it is, right? You generate those, like everybody right now doing like LinkedIn ads loves to do asset downloads. And then you send it to an SDR, the SDR calls, and what do you hear, right? Ah, uh, yeah, they haven't read it yet, or they're not interested. Always. But, I, but we paid $45 for it when we could have got that same lead for 75 cents from Zoom Info with the exact same intent. Mm-hmm. So it's not that MQLs are intrinsically bad. It's that they're intrinsically inefficient if you're paying too much for them in your financial model. Does that make sense?
1: That's the key for it is how much how much you're paying and who you're going after. Being yeah. very particular about your audience tailoring that, you know, if, if you are going to do a content download, make sure that that aligns with the rest of your messaging and maybe that's step one and you nurture them. I am completely with you. There is nothing I hate more than downloading a white paper. And then my phone rings two minutes later and I haven't even opened the piece yet.
0: We're right. all guilty too, as a salespeople, right? Like that's such a thing and it makes no logical sense, no, but that's it's
1: like it's turn off. Really? Yeah, it
0: is. It's the wrong thing. And I think that's, what's broken right now in RevOps is like marketers wanting to celebrate when they shouldn't do you get like it's like look at all these mqls we drove i wish sales could just sell better and it's like fam their whole commission like their whole life is codependent on selling better like they're trying to put food on their table i don't think maybe they're not that bad right i think that's that like dynamic the best organizations have is sales and marketing are working together versus broken organizations where they're like at each other's throats you know
1: well, and marketing really has two clients, your outside clients and your inside clients, which is sales. The, the goal of marketing should be to help sales do their jobs better. And so, you know, maybe that becomes an entry point. They're yeah. not ready to pass over. Drop them in a nurture or find other ways to engage, whether that's remarketing or something like that. Like, hey, we'd we'd love to show you a custom demo. Yeah. You know, got some time. And you start to make that a little bit easier to make that decision. If you're calling them right off of the first piece that they haven't even read yet, of course they're going to tell you no on a demo, and you just wasted your sales team's time.
0: Yeah. No, I'm a thousand percent with you. You said something earlier. I want to unpack a little bit. Intent data. Mm-hmm. I've found it to just suck. Like I want, I don't want it to suck. I want it to be good. But I mean, I've tried the Bombora list. I've called them. I don't know where they're getting this data from. Sometimes, like I mean. I think intent is usually when we think of intent data, we're thinking these people have purchase intent, not educational or informational intent. How do you see intent data evolving? Should I try Bombora again? Am I missing something? Is there a better intent data provider? So for everyone listening right now, like what do you recommend with intent data? Who's the best at it? How do we leverage it? Where does it make sense? Where does it not? Like break that down for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, Bumbora is the biggest known name out there. And most of the other organizations that have intent data, if you ask them, it's white yeah, It's Bumbora. Yeah. Um, so, so that's really, you know, the, the big player in the market and has been for a while. I think it's really in how you leverage the intent data. Are you yeah. pairing it with other engagements? What are the pages that they're actually viewing or keywords that they're searching? Because that's the thing. I know if, like you said, from an educational perspective, if I weren't out there researching and learning all day every day, I'd be so far behind because of how fast the technology and industry evolves. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm there to purchase product, um, but yeah. maybe they've got some really great research content that I want to look at. You know, things like visits to a pricing page or a demo page, or looking at your company versus another company type of search intent, thinking of what your own process might look like and how that might look like for your prospective buyers is going to help you really refine what it is you're looking at in terms of intent um, to really be able to see what's actionable from that. Because otherwise, if you just broad base it like, oh, they they looked at our website. Who cares? Maybe they looked at your careers page.
0: I think that's the hard part, right? It's like the nuance of it. Cause I think the promise Bambora and in intent data delivers is like, you've got a thousand accounts, but which one do you focus on today? Use our data to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I've tried it. Like we have a really good sales and marketing org here. Yep. I haven't seen the intent data be indicative of purchase intent or the hard part too, who had the intent Because I think we forget that part. Like we don't know if Sally's the one searching or Susan and Susan's the one who matters. And unfortunately, Sally's an intern and she was actually looking at our careers page. But we can't tell if it was Sally or Susan. Is there any way to evolve past that where we actually get purchase intent information beyond maybe just pages and stuff at the individual level? Because I think that's the other hard part, too, is we want to know which individual had intent, not which account, because it's not that easy to sell that way
1: yeah and that's you know that's where intent by itself living in a silo isn't effective it's where you can pair that with other things like digital advertising um you know maybe you might have we might say hey this is this is the account that we're seeing intent but this is our target audience within that account based on persona maybe we might hit them with some advertising yeah. linkedin you know being in the b2b space is typically pretty common there um yeah. Just kind of seeing what you can shake loose. Once you're able to identify down to an individual, it's certainly a lot easier to see what it is that they're looking at. Um, So anything you can find to to kind of drop that first-party cookie in there and get that data really takes that intent to the next level because now you have other layers of first-party data to bring in with that.
0: I love that. Now, as I was prepping for this, I noticed you are a four-time Marketo champion. So... I guess I got to tell you the truth about my opinion of Marketo. I tried to set them up. I don't think I ever got a report out of it. And I thought the Sky product was kind of comical. Um, And like, it's objectively bad UX compared to HubSpot, in my opinion, like usability. And you can't democratize Marketo. Like, as you know, the training of Marketo, the onboarding of Marketo. Now it is powerful. And that's why I think everybody gets it, right? It's like, You want to upgrade your company. You want to get better. So you buy Marketo because you're ready for that next level. That's why I did it. Then I got my butt kicked by it. Yep. So I also believe great companies go to die when Adobe acquires them. Like, just kind of an opinion here. So if I'm a marketing leader, I got Pardot, which I actually somehow heard about yesterday. Like, genuinely, someone's like, what about Pardot? I was like, I haven't heard Pardot in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So I got Pardot. I got Marketo and I got HubSpot that's just surging. Custom objects, getting better at global, EMEA, APAC. They're not quite there yet, but they're getting better. But the product is so democratized, so usable. It's got great APIs. The bidirectional sync with Salesforce actually doesn't stink anymore. Like a lot of those pieces. What do you think the future of marketing ops is? And what do you think like what people should do? Kind of what's your opinion on platforms? Which ones you should use and why?
1: Yeah, I think... Trying to look at HubSpot and Marketo side-by-side side is also really a hard thing to do because there's a lot in Marketo that's a little bit more enterprise-focused, and there's a lot in HubSpot that is much more small business. Yeah. Um, it's something that I dealt with a lot in the agency and migrations. It's something I've dealt with in my own um, in-house roles. And I think, you know, I certainly think HubSpot is one to watch. I think they've got a lot of really great and positive things going, to your point. Um, you know, they've done a great job of appealing to the marketer. But I think one thing that holds them back a little bit is really scalability at the enterprise level. They've made it so easy and so user-friendly that when you are really ready for that, you then have to do a lot of workarounds to get to the type of scalability that someone coming from Marketo could look at and be like, great, let me blow that up in five minutes and we're done. You might spend hours in HubSpot trying to do a workaround to accomplish the same thing.
0: Let's get deep though. Tell me what that is because I haven't come across anything where I'm like, I actually need it. You know what I mean? Because I think the promise is so cool. Marketo takes you, you know, they take you to the golf course. They, they got the enterprise sales people, they're really good at the game. I know, right? Like, I, I play the same game that we have to do to close big deals too, right? HubSpot doesn't play any of that. They just got their simple software, sign yourself up, kind of figure it out, it worked. Yeah. So give me an example of where like, you could do something in Marketo you can't do in HubSpot because I haven't even been able to come across that. And I, I genuinely want to know.
1: Yeah, so, they, so one of the things with Marketo that I love is being able to go multiple layers deep on filters yeah. for something. HubSpot will run into a limitation. Um, so for example, if we wanted to have something in our lead scoring model that was somebody visited high intent behavior, or high intent pages on our website three times in the last week, you can't do that in HubSpot you can't go that deep. Marketo will let you go that granular. So that's when we're in in terms of getting really detailed and really refined, I've run into a lot of walls. The other is program level tokens.
0: HubSpot doesn't have that. Okay, now you got me going. Okay, program level tokens, what are those?
1: You wanna go deep? Yeah, go deep.
0: Um,
1: It is easily one of the most efficient tools within Marketo for scalability. And that is where you know HubSpot has tokens which pull off of your person or your company record. Marketo lets you create tokens at a program level. So for example, a webinar. Yeah. If you have a piece of information that is going to be consistent across every single one of your assets, you can create a token just for that program but we'll populate everything in that. So if so you, you can start do like building, like cross-object
0: tokens is what you're saying, right? Like basically, so
1: like your emails, your landing pages. If you wanted to put that information into a person's record for an interesting moment, mm-hmm. uh, but it's specific just to what's in that program. And so maybe you start building a webinar, and you're like, I think we're gonna have this on nine thirty. Something happens where you have to push it back to ten seven instead of having to go in and make that change, you know, 16 different times, your plain text, your HTML, your landing page, your confirmations, all that stuff, you change it in one place, it changes everywhere.
0: I see, so you can do like merge tagging at scale at the campaign programming level, and then that can be a lot more efficient for someone like yourself who is trying to run the calendar or the kind of program level side of it. Exactly,
1: you can also go up level with them so basically anywhere that you put a a program token it cascades to everything underneath of it so you can do it at the folder Mm -hmm. level all the way up to the top so it's common to see it for things like copyright year or footer language that gets changed because of privacy policy information um it just you know when those changes need to happen it makes it much more efficient to do that because it's a one one place and you're done
0: across your whole ecosystem that's really interesting okay ready let's do another one you ready I'm not ready, but I have to always do at least two. I'm going to be honest. Are you doing another lemon? It's all I have. I, I'm allergic to melons, but not lemons. So I can't do the watermelon ones.
1: Okay. I'm going to go yeah, for the, the watermelon weird
0: next. weird thing. I know. Ready? All right. Oh,
1: God. It's so bad every time. I'm scared uh-huh. of the lemon now. Now that I see you do that one, I'm frightened.
0: The second one's worse than the first.
1: Yeah, it is. I don't okay. think I have taste buds left on my tongue.
0: I know. I if you drink coffee after this, it's like toothpaste and orange juice, real bad. <sighs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I just want everybody to know I'm a hero. I do this every week. Like.
1: I don't know how you do it.
0: How do so you
1: still bad. taste your food when you eat?
0: I might not honestly. Like three years from now, like I'm kind of a foodie. Like three years from now, I might just have permanent COVID. Like I won't be able to taste anything.
1: Oh God. Um. These are so bad. It's making my eyes water.
0: Attribution. Yep. Everybody kind of like stinks at it. Um, yep. <laughs> universally. Like that's like a, you could ask, like if you ask 10 marketers, like how do you feel about your company's attribution? All 10 would like either say it sucks or do this like, well, um, uh, uh, but nobody's going to be like, it's great. I'm super confident. In it and it's always accurate. I found that's a lot of times that's because Visible script is really bad at tagging. And so it revol- involves still a lot of manual, like, tagging systems. Is there a better software than Visible for attribution? Is there a way to make Visible work better? Like, HubSpot's attribution comes default now and is killer. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, so I'm like, just use HubSpot, because I've tried Visible, by the way. I've been a customer. Tried a bunch of different stuff. I've built my own GCLID like tagging systems and Salesforce so I could run and do it that way. I've done a lot of different stuff. What's the trick to attribution? Like how do we get it to work as marketers? What software do you recommend? How do we need to yeah. think about it? Cause this is like a universal problem for everybody and I'd love your perspective.
1: Yeah. I think visible has a lot of room to evolve with the current market. Um, there's a lot of newer players out there that I've been really impressed with and continue okay. to see really up-level the game.
0: Can you name drop for um, us, Brooke? Can you give us a couple names?
1: I, you know, I've taken a look at LeadsRX, CaliberMind, okay. Ramp Metrics. Um, seen some really impressive things out of those folks.
0: I saw CaliberMind um, too. I thought that what they were doing was pretty nice.
1: Yeah, and so that's kind of like the the next evolution with that. Okay. And, you know, to your point, if you try to ask anybody about attribution, you're gonna get different answers. Um, and a lot of different a lot of different perspectives. And some of it, as you mentioned, comes down to the tools, the manual lift. Um, yeah. Some of them are pretty hard to use. And yeah, to your point, Visible's got a little bit of that. Um, I know I worked some of those accounts at the agency. And I I think a lot of it comes down to to what your intention is for attribution. If you're trying to count every single grain of sand, every dollar that marketing is spending, it's never going to work.
0: It's gone, right? With the way people are using their browsers plus the iOS updates. Is attribution a pipe dream now almost too in that sense? Because of like, I'm hearing like anybody on the consumer side is losing like 50 plus percent right now. So I don't even know. Yeah,
1: it's, it's still a tool of value because you can see engagement across an account and see, you know, what, what somebody has looked at, how those different touch points are potentially influencing what comes next. Um, So it's a good resource for marketers in terms of looking at how to impact strategy going forward, mm-hmm. if you're going to look at it as a science or a hard number and use it for reporting and saying this is the be all end all, that's not it. So, um, so it's it's really just a tool in your arsenal to help you make better decisions. But save the save the hard data for your data analysts.
0: Yeah.
1: And your you know I'm your BI pull it out
0: to SQL and start to do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Now, mm-hmm. I love where your head's at because I agree with it. It's just a logical like. I think you've probably chased the rainbow on this too, right? Have you kind of done the, I want perfect attribution thing, got your butt kicked, realized it's impossible and kind of changed your tone to a certain extent?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. I've seen some that do it, you know, pretty well, that take really great information from it, use it for their content teams to create strategy or their demand gen teams, um, you know, actually really take it and apply the information. I've seen others that, you know, they say, hey, day one, we want multi-touch attribution and we want it to be perfect. And it's like, well, what's the quality of your data look like in Salesforce? Oh, uh, well, and it's like, okay, well, are you using UTM parameters? Well, no. Are you using Salesforce campaigns? Uh, not mm. really. Like What okay, are your well, hidden fields like on your form?
0: Yeah, like- yeah.
1: You're not going to get perfect multi-touch attribution. There's no tool in the world that's going to buy that for you. You have to fix your, your process and your data management before you're ready for that. Otherwise you are going to fail and it's yeah. a waste of money and attribution makes no sense and it's useless and you know there you have another another anti attribution yeah my no, lord right i think
0: yeah. the interesting part here too in my mind is like if you're going to do attribution you want to get a tool i like hubspot because of the auto tagging i think deleting the manual tagging part of it also can help because i think when you try people love to set things up in a way that are extra thorough and then accidentally screw themselves. And what I mean by that is like, you get these visible installs that are like, they're measuring everything, but that none of it's significant. Cause you don't even get enough. Like they essentially bucket things so tightly that you end up with a bunch of fallacy. If you were to act upon it, like, Ooh, this is working really well. We should do more of this. And you fund it and you're like, Oh, it worked really well. Cause it was this, it doesn't work well when it's this and we grow it. So like, What's your take on like do you think you need manual tagging for attribution do you like auto tagging like because i think that's a big part of where it breaks in my opinion is when you have to manually tag you have to be so consistent throughout the entire life cycle versus auto tagging
1: yeah i think there's there's a place for the manual auto tag as much as possible um, because it's going to keep your standardization yeah. in place there's always going to be one-off outliers yeah of course. but if if you can create consistent standards that's a lot less work you're gonna to have to do in cleanup down the road. Um, especially, you know, if you have that rolled out across all the teams, everybody's following the same process, you know, pick lists, big fan of pick lists on everything yeah. if possible. Um, but there's, you know, yeah, there's there's always gonna be an outlier, a new channel that we tried or something that's a little bit different, that's gonna require a little bit of manual work. It happens.
0: Yeah, it's but,
1: Yeah, but if you're doing it all the time, that's definitely where you're running into. Needing to have a full time hire just to run your attribution platform.
0: Yeah. Let's talk full time hard hires hard. to wrap this up, Brooke, because I want yeah. you to finish off with something I think you can whack everybody in the head with of just information. And what I mean by that is let's create a bucket. You're a marketing org that has a $2 million budget mm-hmm. for the year. How many full time marketing ops people, as a rough number, should you have per million dollars of budget in marketing in your mind? Is that a half a head? Is that a full head? Because I think this is where Marketing Ops loses. It gets underfunded, so then it underperforms and people don't respect it. Or it gets overfunded, can't drive revenue, and then gets cut again. So I feel like people are like struggling to identify headcount, agency partnerships, like how they go about staffing this role. What have you seen? What do you recommend?
1: Yeah, I think anytime you're building out a marketing org, Marketing Ops should be one of your first hires. So whether you have a a couple hundred thousand dollar budget, a couple million dollar budget, there should be somebody in there in marketing ops because if that data isn't speaking well, isn't doing well, marketing's never going to be able to show their impact on the business and you're not going to get more budget or more headcount.
0: And when does that one person, when does that one human break and you need another? Because I think that's the part where marketing ops runs into trouble. So where does that one human, you need that human to start, totally agree. When do you need your next human for marketing ops? Like when do you need your next headcount?
1: Yeah, a lot of that comes down to do you have a centralized or decentralized team? Because if you're relying on your marketing operations team to also be building campaigns, you have campaign ops as a part of that, you're going to need separate hires. If you have people that are more empowered to go out and actually build some of those things on their own and then marketing ops is is covering the more technical piece, you can get away with a leaner marketing ops team.
0: So, if marketing wow. ops manages the system, instead of implementing every change into the system, you can scale. But if you've got marketing ops owning the actual campaign creation in Marketo, you're going to need every X amount of campaigns you want to create monthly. You're going to need Y amount of headcount. One hundred percent. If you don't have, if you haven't democratized or decentralized, who is able to add things to the Marketo and yep. run it?
1: Yeah, and that's where you know figuring out from the get-go how you want your team structure to be is is going to make the difference because if you have those people that want to take on those responsibilities great if they don't and you want that to live in your marketing operations team and yeah if you got a a two million dollar budget like that you're going to need your systems admin but you're also going to need your builders your day-to-day more of a specialist type role um, but somebody that's like a campaign ops campaign builder type of function um, to be able to support that
0: I love that. Brooke, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, Getting here for someone with your kind of background and insights, I think it's going to be huge for our audience. It was big for myself. So thanks for being on the show. Um, If anyone wants to follow along your journey uh, and what you're doing on social media, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm typically on LinkedIn the most, uh, so you can find me there. My rantings on Twitter range from everything from being a mom of a wily five-year-old to Drinking beer on the patio and some occasional marketing stuff thrown in. So
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. And uh, that's another episode of Sour and Sass, everybody. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Garrett.